Hi, my name is Janini Kekwa, and I'm the Public Affairs Director at WKNC Radio. On today's episode, you'll be hearing two stories. The first one will be weekly news with your favorites, Abigail and Avery, and the next one is going to be an interview by one of our favorite editors, Grace, about Child Abuse Prevention Month. The views and opinions expressed during Eye on the Triangle do not represent WKNC or NC State student media. Good evening, Raleigh. Your dial is currently tuned to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1 FM HD1. I am Grace Gidley. On tonight's episode, I, Grace Gidley, am joined with Chris DeMars, an NC State alumna and the Director of Communications and Marketing at Prevent Child Abuse North Carolina, to talk about Child Abuse Prevention Month. We discuss the many ways that one can get involved and be a connection to help prevent child abuse within the community. Stay tuned to Eye on the Triangle. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you so much for having me and Prevent Child Abuse North Carolina on today, Grace. To start, can you tell me how child maltreatment is defined? Sure. So child maltreatment is really um, any type of abuse or neglect, um, sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse um, of a child. So um you know, it's not everything that can be seen physically on the body. Sometimes it's emotional. Sometimes it's neglect, not being able to go and see the doctor when they need to. Um, so there's a bunch of different types of abuse. And luckily we do have a free online training about the different types of abuse and how to see the signs of it, um, and make a report for those different types of abuse. What are a few of the basic warning signs to look out for? Well, we definitely want to look for the obvious signs of physical abuse, those, you know, bruises and, um, you know, maybe even neglect being the disheveled hair or coming in um, wearing the same clothes multiple days in a row. Um, But even just, you know, retreating and not being super social or active um, when they're around other kids. Um, And then uh, another obvious sign is when a child entrusts you and tells you something is wrong or something's not right, um, you know, making sure that you listen. Um, but the good thing too, that we know is that child maltreatment is a hundred percent preventable. And that's a little bit about what prevent child abuse, North Carolina focuses on with our upstream approach to child maltreatment prevention. Can you tell me a little bit uh, more about that upstream approach that you just mentioned? Absolutely. So Um, Prevent Child Abuse North Carolina focuses on making sure that child maltreatment prevention is a priority in North Carolina. Um, And we do that by making sure that all communities have the knowledge, skills, and resources they need to prevent child abuse and neglect at the local level. Um, So we really believe that it can be prevented from ever occurring when every single adult plays a part and all sectors um, in the community play a part. So, you know, it's not about that family over there taking care of themselves and pulling themselves up by the bootstraps. Um, We're talking about upstream approaches by investing in proven strategies, um, proven programs, and proven policies that help strengthen families. Um, Because when we do that, you know, we're we're helping and supporting that family in a holistic approach by surrounding that family with the supports they need by making sure they have housing over their head, 
transportation um, to get to where they need to go, um, to make sure that they have the economic supports and a stable job and, and quality, affordable childcare to you know, put their children in when they go to that job. Um, so really just building up the supports in the community around every family in every community of North Carolina. Um, and that, that really is our approach, just making sure that communities have that knowledge um, of child maltreatment prevention and how to make sure that that's in their communities. And a part of that is the protective factors. Um, actually, that is pretty much all of it. The protective factors are, are super important. Um, and that is one thing that we focus on the most is making sure to increase the protective factors that strengthen families and then therefore prevent child maltreatment from ever occurring in the first place. Can you tell us a little bit about the Connections Matter and See initiative? Absolutely. So we um, embarked on the Connections Matter North Carolina initiative back in, I believe, 2019. Um, the years have just kind of flown by recently, um, but it's really an initiative that um, focuses on adverse childhood experiences and educating the community about adverse childhood experiences, trauma, um, brain development, and resilience, and what all of that means in developing healthy brains at any age. Um, so we know that positive connections can help build strong brain connections. And when you have strong development, um, you're more likely to thrive um, again at any age. So whether you're zero to 17 or you're a parent raising a child or just a community member who is just trying to give back and do their best in life, um, positive connections are critical to those healthy brain um, development. And that's one thing that we've seen kind of really struggle over the past two, two and a half years with COVID um, and being so isolated from one another. And so that was a big push and a big focus for Prevent Child Abuse North Carolina is um, staying connected to those social supports, which is one of those protective factors um, that I was talking about before. Um, just having someone to lean on uh, in times of need helps build resilience and helps people cope and get through the really tough times. And I think that's, you know, one important thing that helped all of us during the past two years is having those friends to lean on and family who loves you and cares about you to lean on um, when you're just having a bad day. Yeah. And Prevent Child Abuse North Carolina partners with faith communities specifically through this uh, initiative. Why is it so important to connect with these faith communities and congregations specifically? Absolutely. So we know that faith communities provide so much more than just, you know, their, their services, right, at their place of worship. They go out into the community and they're, you know, a symbol of hope. Um, they offer these positive connections throughout, throughout the week, not just on that one day that you might go in for um, fellowship. And they're a staple in their community. Um, faith communities really bring together all the different concrete supports that their community members need. Um, and not just the, the community members like within their faith community, but the ones in their larger community. And they make sure that those social supports are accessible um, to families. So by 
providing, you know, food drives or, um, you know, giving kids backpacks in time for going back to school, um, driving all of these concrete supports for parents in their community is one vital way that faith communities really help increase the protective factors that strengthen families and prevent child maltreatment. And we've been trying to connect the dots and let faith communities know that they are preventing child maltreatment before it ever occurs when they do um, host you know, activities like that throughout the year. Um, even if it's not their intention or their mission to prevent child maltreatment, they are doing it. And um, so we're just trying to highlight that for faith communities and let them know that that's something that they can continue doing um, and, you know, really advocate for that once they make that connection. Yeah. Has the pandemic influenced the risk of child maltreatment at all over the past two years? We, um, you know, in the beginning of the pandemic, um, we definitely thought that, you know, I mean, in general, times of crisis puts families under great stress and that can lead to increases of child maltreatment or risk of child maltreatment. Um, we know that, you know, when families are socially isolated and don't have those social con connections, that increases stress. That removes one of the five protective factors. Um, we know that unemployment skyrocketed and we know that families didn't have access to um, some of those concrete supports like public transportation. And we all saw those lines of people, um, you know, miles long waiting to get food um, and pick it like the, the car lines picking up food. So um, we definitely worried about the risk for child maltreatment. The risk factors went up, the protective factors seemed to go down a bit. Um, and, you know, it seems that the reports of child maltreatment also went down. Um, our report, most reporters are educators, um, law enforcement, and the like, emergency room doctors and pediatricians. Um, and people were not going out of their houses. So families were isolated. Um, people weren't aware of, weren't able to see the signs of suspected abuse or neglect to make a report. So um, it looks like, you know, abuse definitely could have occurred and just went unreported. Um, but they're saying that, you know, reports may, may have stayed around the same um, or actually cases of child maltreatment. I think that that number is actually just not figured out yet um, and not determined. So I don't wanna say, but I, I will just say that the risk factors went up and protective factors went down. Um, so we're just focusing now um, more than ever on making sure that kids have someone they can trust and have that caring connection that they can go to um, if they needed to report abuse or neglect from over the past two years and or just to make sure that we're building those connections and keeping them strong so that abuse, you know, never has to occur. April is Child Abuse Prevention Month. What are some ways listeners can be a connection and get involved this month? Absolutely. So we're talking today on um, April 1st, which is Wear Blue Day, uh, National Wear Blue Day. And, you know, even if you're listening to this and it's not April 1st anymore, which is probably the case, 
Um, you can still wear blue and participate by taking a photo and sharing with the hashtag WearBlueDay2022 and hashtag BeAConnection. Um, we are really driving our online awareness um, to spread the word of the important role that every single adult plays in building strong environments and strong relationships for families and children. Um, so we also invite people to participate in um, our statewide webinar. It's basically a Prevention 101 overview um, called Ensuring Strong Foundations for Children, Learn the Basics and Take Action. Um, that will be held on Wednesday, April 20th. And if you're um, like most people and you're, you've got Zoom fatigue, um, the webinar will be recorded so that you can watch at any time um, and you don't have to attend necessarily in person. Um, but that will be great for just a basic overview of what is primary prevention, what's secondary prevention and tertiary prevention, what does that mean, um, how to make a report of suspected abuse and neglect, and then, you know, we're going to go over the protective factors and the importance of strong connections um, and offer some ways that individuals can support children and families all year long. And then some other ways that folks can get involved is by participating in the hashtag Be a Connection social media campaign. Um, we just want people to identify their own unique role in amplifying the ways that we can support children and families. Um, so like we mentioned, faith communities might not, you know, make connect, connect the dots on posting a food drive as being a child maltreatment prevention solution, um, but it is. So we would like for everyone to kind of identify what's one thing that they do or have done that builds strong families and strong communities. Um, and share that on social media with the hashtag be a connection anytime throughout April. And then, you know, we encourage you to visit preventchildabusenc.org to visit our online toolkit for child abuse prevention month, which has pre-written social media posts, social media graphics, um, a Zoom background, email signature, talking points. Um, basically anything you can need for wanting to promote child maltreatment prevention in your community. And there's just a bunch more information and resources for um, school counselors, early care and education providers, and faith communities as well. And finally, you touched on this earlier a little bit, but why is it so important for the community to get involved and take on child abuse prevention as their responsibility, not only this month, but also moving forward? Well, we know that, um, as I said before, you know, families are, families can't just do it alone. You know, every family, everyone experiences stress at some times. Um, and so we want to make sure that that family is surrounded by supports and positive connections. Um, because if mom or dad or grandma, grandpa, whoever is caring for these children, you know, is having a rough patch and, and you know, maybe lost their job or, um, you know, their car broke down, they can't get to where they need to go or take their child to the doctor. It's our resp responsibility as a community, as a neighbor, as a friend, as an aunt or an uncle to wrap ourselves around the families in our lives. Um, 
it's really a community-wide responsibility. That's one of our values and visions at Prevent Child Abuse North Carolina. Um, it, it's all of our responsibilities in putting these upstream policies and programs and solutions in place that are focused on um, science and proven to strengthen families. We really need to change the system so that we're not spending $2 billion downstream in North Carolina on the consequences of child maltreatment and instead invest that money upstream in these programs and policies that strengthen families so child abuse and neglect never has to occur. And that can't happen if the community doesn't believe in it and understand that. And that is, you know, why we're talking today and why you're listening today. Um, it's all of our role and responsibility. Um, and I really hope that everyone, you know, takes one um, task to recognize Child Abuse Prevention Month this April. Thank you again so much for speaking with us today on Eye on the Triangle. Thank you so much, Grace. For more information about Child Abuse Prevention Month or Prevent Child Abuse North Carolina, resources can be found at preventchildabusenc.org. Reporting for Eye on the Triangle, this has been Grace Kidley. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Eye on the Triangle. This is Avery, the news editor at Technician, and I'm here with... Hi, this is Abigail from Technician also. I'm the assistant news editor. And this is actually the last time we're going to have those titles because starting next week, Miss Abigail is going to be the news editor at Technician. Very, very excited and proud of her. She's going to be great. And since I'm graduating, this is also going to be my last podcast. So I've had such a great time doing this weekly news with Abigail. We have a blast. And yeah, very, uh, very bittersweet. Yeah, it's going to be so sad without her, but maybe you guys can meet our new charges for next year. Yep, we'll have some new news editors rolling up on the scene. Cool. Okay, well, we're going to go ahead and get started. If you have never listened to this segment before, the way this works is Abigail and, and I each have three news tidbits from around the Triangle or NC State, and we just talk about them and get some live reactions, and we go back and forth. So, let's roll. Okay, guys, so my first tidbit this week is about Mojo's Burgers. If you live in Raleigh, love burgers, and you haven't been to Mojo's yet, may I ask what you are doing right now? Mojo's Burger Joint is a small little burger place on Glenwood Avenue across from Mellow Mushroom with an amazing selection of burgers and appetizers. They literally have options for everyone. They have regular burgers, turkey burgers, veggie burgers, bean burgers, and more. They have gluten-free and whole wheat bun options and literally so many toppings that I thought about listing, but there was, it was too many. I couldn't do it. Um, they also have the, what they call the Hall of Fame burger, which is a one pound patty that if you finish it, you become a Mojo's Hall of Famer. And actually the way I decided to talk about this this week was that I was scrolling on Instagram and going through my stories and I saw their story and three people I knew were on the Mojo's story <laughs> because one of their friends had just finished the Hall of Famer. So it is possible. So maybe you guys should go and challenge yourselves. You never know what you can do out here. <laughs> but um, 
Mojo's greatness doesn't even stop at its burgers. Mojo's also has amazing appetizers <laughs> and sides. They have wings, nachos, fried pickles, tater tots, bacon, cheese fries, and more. It's amazing. I want to go right now, and you should also. Wow. I love some fried pickles. I just got really excited when you said that. But this is really cool. I've never heard of this. Um, I'm, you know, excited to hear they have veggie burgers as a pescatarian. That is, you know, my jam. So, um, very cool. I would uh, love to see someone attempt to do this Hall of Fame. I don't know. I'm having trouble visualizing what a one-pound patty is like. I have no clue. Yeah. It, I mean, I guess it sounds like a lot, but also it doesn't really sound like a lot to me. Yeah. I would like to see it, too. Also, do they have a veggie option for that? Right. Because I want to be on the wall. Yeah, I want to be on the wall. Let me do it. So my first tidbit is kind of an update about student government. I talked about student government a few weeks ago on the podcast, and now I'm going to talk about it again. So this is also thanks to our future assistant news editor, Emily Vespa. She wrote an article about student government recently in the new elections. So go to the Technician website to read that if you'd like to know more. But basically, student engagement was incredibly low this semester. According to Miles Calzini, the incoming student senate president, only 300 people voted. Out of the entire school, 300 people. So usually they have around 4,000 people vote each election, which is still pretty low compared to the 37,000 students that are at NC State. So the fact that only... 4,000 vote usually is kind of low, but then 300 this election was crazy. And there was also only one contested race, so every other position ran unopposed. And out of 65 Senate seats up for election, only 25 positions were filled. So, that's not great. No. (laughs) Um, Yeah, not looking so good for student government. Um, So, upcoming student... Body Vice President Timothy Reed said they're going to try to create more initiatives to increase student interest and engagement. And many many officers say they don't think students understand the importance of student government and what roles they play. So like I talked about a little bit when I talked about student government before, student government is very involved in a lot of the things that happen at NC State. They take charge of important initiatives that directly impact students. They allocate money to different clubs, and so they, uh, they're they kind of working it behind the scenes. So it is important to vote and also to run. There are a lot of positions open for the Senate. If you're interested, then I think you can reach out to um, the uh, Senate president and see about maybe getting a position. But, yeah, student government is important. Yeah, for sure. I definitely didn't know until this year, actually, how important student government was. But I covered some of the Senate meetings and some of the other kind of SG things. And, yeah, they do a lot more than you would think. Like, they actually do have control a lot over a lot of, like, the rules on campus and, like you said, initiatives and... um like money, like a lot of money. They get to literally fund 
different things on campus. So they're kind of a big deal and it is really important. I will say I felt like the marketing for elections this year was really not as good. I feel like freshman year there were signs and events everywhere during election season and this year it just wasn't a huge thing. Yeah, I think I saw like one single sign and it was like in the court of Carolinas and that was it. And I remember being confused because I was like, are elections happening? Like, why is this sign one sign? Literally. (laughs) Yeah. So very important. Try to stay updated. Try to know who your senators are. And if you're at all interested, maybe uh, reach out about getting involved yourself. For my second tidbit of the week, I have an update from a previous segment where I mentioned that researchers are catching sharks off the coast of the Carolinas to find out if they breed there every year. Don't worry, it hasn't been, like, they haven't found that out for sure yet, but what they did find is that, according to News and Observer, I may not be swimming in the ocean this summer because they found three huge great white sharks off the coast. The largest of the group being Mahone, who was 13 feet and 7 inches. For reference, I am 5 foot 6, so he is literally two times longer than me and weighs 1,700 pounds. The other two were 12 feet and 10 feet. They were all pinged about a week ago, April 9th and 6th. And yeah, check out News and Observer to learn more about O-Search, who is like the people doing the breeding project and about the lovely sharks that will be haunting my beach trips for the rest of the summer. Okay, so last week me and Abigail had a conversation, and I think maybe I jinxed us, but I was talking about how we had never come up with the same tidbit. Oh, my God. And I had this one oh my God. for this week. Yeah, and I got it specifically because I know Abigail. I was, like, afraid. So that's crazy. But, yeah, I remember reading this and just being like, oh, that's casual. We just got a 13-foot great white shark off the coast of NC. And then I also saw, like, a satellite picture of it. You saw a picture? Well, it wasn't, like, a picture of – actually, I did see – I think it was a picture of the shark, and, like, it was huge. But I saw a satellite picture of, like, where it was in relation to the beach. And I feel like when you say, like, oh, it was, like, off the coast, that sounds like that could be kind of far Mm -hmm. out off the coast. No. Uh -uh. It was close to the shore. I was about to say, in the article, they gave a town, which I meant to put up here, and I definitely forgot. But it's literally, like, close enough to where they could say it's by the city. And I was like, okay, not going there this summer. Yeah, it's like, I think it was Fort Fisher. Mm-hmm. And it was, I mean, I still think it was far farther out than most people swim, mm-hmm. but it was closer than what you might expect. And it did say, like, that the reason it was so close to the shore was probably because there's no one in the water mm-hmm. right now. So hard. if there are people splashing around, I mean, they don't just come yeah. up and attack people on the shore. Usually. Usually. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could be the first, but... <laughs> So, uh, yeah. Um, Wow. This is kind of funny that our last episode. We finally did it. (laughs) We finally had the same one. But, um, yeah, kind of uh, scary. Spooky. But at least it's not a megalodon. Yeah, thank God. Well, I don't know. Would that that be better? They could just swallow me whole. That's true. But if they swallowed you whole, you would, like, not die right away. Do you ever think about that? Like, if you were swallowed by a whale, like, a huge whale, like, you wouldn't die right away. You would, like, be inside of it. I mean, you you would probably die oh pretty God. quickly. 
but like suffocating or whatever but you wouldn't just die i would rather be like chomped really yeah because then it's like at least if you're like suffocating you pass out I don't know. You would still that's probably true. pass out. If you got like, but if they like bite, if they like bite your head off, like that's quick. <laughs> anyway, real talk with Abigail and Avery. How would you rather die? <laughs> being swallowed whole by megalodon or being chomped up by a great white? These are the important questions. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So this is going to be my last tidbit because I had the same one. So just two for me today. And this one is also courtesy of the News and Observer. So at Moore Square Magnet Middle School, a falconry demonstration went awry. Basically, a falconer came in to do two presentations to two groups of students in the school's gyms. And I think he brought like four different birds with him. So the first presentation went well. But during the second one, a large red-tailed hawk named Henry got loose. Apparently, it said he was on a leash, but then he got loose. So I don't really understand that. (laughs) Um, And he flew up into the rafters and parked it in the gym. And they were trying to get him down for a while and couldn't. So the falconer left to go get a pigeon to use as bait to get the bird down. And then this is the kicker. He brings the pigeon back, and somehow the pigeon also gets away from him and flies up into the rafters also. No. So then we not only have one bird, but two birds chilling up in the rafters of the school. So um, the birds were left there overnight. Um, They closed the doors to the gym and put notes on it, telling the janitors not to go in there. (laughs) And they were not able to be retrieved for two days. They spent two full days trying to get these birds down. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's the story's chaotic. Um, students were coming up with ideas like shooting at it with water guns, <laughs> as well as a kid shimmying up a pole to get Makes it. Sense. I can just imagine a middle schooler saying that. Like, what if I get up onto the rafters and, like, grab it? I can't it? believe <laughs> they didn't actually try. I know. Um, all of these ideas were met with firm no's. <laughs> Um, finally, the falconer was able to lure Henry down on the fourth day. They think it was because he got hungry and, like, yeah. they realized that that's where his food was going to come from. And then it said they also got the pigeon down. It didn't explain how, but I'm just like, how are how are we letting, anim- like, the birds get away from us? <laughs> He's, a, like, a falconer. And not only did the hawk get away, but the pigeon got away. Yeah. He needed to lure the hawk. Two times. Two times, sir. So funny. I just thought this story was hilarious. And I can just imagine, like, P.E. being not canceled, but having to do different things for P.E. Because, oh, the gym, we got a hawk in there. We can't be in the gym. They should have had so, boat trips. Let's go see the hawk while it's here. So funny. Anyway, that was my last tidbit of all time. So. Wow. That's a good one to end on, I think. Yeah. For my last tidbit, I am going to be talking about um, Easter egg hunts for adults. Actually, it's for, like, ages five and up, but, like, it's more... Um, I'm five and up. I'm five and up, exactly. So, the city of Raleigh has curated a historical Easter egg hunt where you can find ten giant hidden eggs at some of Raleigh's historical locations around the city. Some locations include the Borden Building House, wait, yeah, Boarding Building at Fred Fletcher Park, 
City of Raleigh Museum, John Chavis Carousel, and more. I love a good Easter egg hunt, but lately I've realized how far the ground is than it used to be. And the thought of running around and bending over to collect 30 different eggs filled with cheap candy hurts my back to think about. So being able to stare at a giant egg at a comfortable distance that doesn't require much strain sounds like a way better idea to me. Also, as a Gen Zer that spends too much time on social media, it would probably benefit my joints and my mind to take a trip around the city and get out for a bit. A nice walk through downtown would be a great way to do that. Not to mention a nice outing usually ends with good food or good coffee, especially around downtown. So this Easter egg hunt sounds like a great time. Nice. Um, did it say how big the giant Easter eggs are? Like when I hear that, I'm like, what does that right. mean? I also wanted to know. I'm like, are we talking about like scary big or kind of big? Like, I think right. it has to have be big enough to have words on it, I think, because there's like you're supposed to collect highlighted words that are on the eggs to solve a puzzle. I don't know. Oh, that's really cool. Like, I kind of want to do right. that. And so are they all downtown? Yes, I think. Well, for the most part, there was like Pullen Park and I think there was like two that might not be downtown, but I think most of them are downtown. Gotcha. Well, that's super fun. That sounds like a really fun thing to do. You know, when you get older, you just have so much going on in your life. And sometimes it's nice to revert back to childhood. And an Easter egg hunt is like the perfect way to do yeah. that. I haven't gone on an Easter egg hunt since, you know, ages. Yeah, people will laugh at me now if I try to go on one. Right. So, wow, very yeah. cool. Well, that is it for our weekly news this week. This podcast has been super fun for me to do with Abigail every week. And I know she's going to have a fun time doing it next semester with the new assistant news editors. And, yeah, it's just it's been a great time. Yeah. It was a great time. I've had so much fun, and I will see you guys next time. Thank you so much. All right. For one last time. Bye. Bye. RIP, headphone users. That just about does it for this episode. This has been Grace Gidley for WKNC Radio. Thank you for listening. You can listen to more episodes at wknc.org backslash podcasts. And you can also tune in every Sunday at 6 p.m. to hear new Eye on the Triangle episodes.